I'm Amelia. And I'm Sophie. And welcome to So Ma, So Good, a Fruits Basket reboot podcast. Here we are talking about the reboot of the Fruits Basket anime. Um, we're in the very last couple episodes, uh, which is crazy. Uh, we try and keep it spoiler free, but if we mess up, I'll put timestamps down in the description as well as content warnings. Uh, without further ado, here we are in the flesh. Yeah. Um, and we've been recording this for, like, a little yes, less than a year now, because I think we started... I think we started in, like, early June of last year, so I think it might be more than a year. Damn, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. That tracks. I, I, for some reason, I was thinking July, but now that I think about no, it No, it's now, June. Yeah, well, this is our first ever in-person uh, podcast episode. Yeah. The miracle of vaccination, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Recording from a funky little college town in Massachusetts in my fucked up old house. <laughs> if the sound quality is worse, uh, it's because my room is big. Um, and my room is small, <laughs> so, really cool, so it sounds better. Yeah, and we're not going to build a blanket fourth to record in, especially not during June. No. We've already closed the window as a sacrifice. It's not actually that hot today. No, but it's when, fine. Yeah. Um... So, I guess information about the fact that we're recording an episode in person aside, it was a great episode. Yeah, it was. Um, it was really good. <laughs> yeah, no, I really liked it. It was really, really gotcha. Yeah. No, it was the, it's the Kyoru of it all. It's like yeah. every time, like, Kyoru has moments like this, I'm like, maybe straight people do have rights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just, they're good. They're good. They're Good. There's like there's a reason it made all of us crazy as children. Like yeah. there is a reason, and it's because it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's that good, good slow burn, and we finally get the payoff, and it's like, ooh yes, yeah. And it was like a good payoff too. It's so good. It sticks the landing. Yeah. Um, no, she did nail it. <laughs> she did nail it. And it's also like you know, in like a lot of series, like the main couple will like end up married forever and like whatever and a lot of the times I'm like would they really end up married but like with Kiru like yeah, yeah. no they're like <laughs> together for life <laughs> I, if if Kiru broke up that would just it would be terrible I can't even imagine it no no like it's like the kinds of things I feel like like there's been so many horrible things that could have pushed them apart and they've tried to push each other away from each other so many times so it's like you know, they've already done a lot of, like, I guess, tests of strength for their relationship and come out the other side, so mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, like, they're gonna stay together. Yeah. And I can very much believe them as, like, you know, like, everyone else in Fruits, you know, I've been, you know, we write our silly little fan fictions, and, <laughs> um, and I break up every couple except Kyoru and um, Ayame and Mine. Yeah. Those are the only people that I think have a relationship that lasts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, Takaya. Because um, it's especially, like, like the chances of meeting the person you're going to be with for life in high school are, like, slim to none. Yeah. It's like when you meet someone who married their high school sweetheart. It's like a fun novelty. Right. It's like, wow, you guys really did that shit, huh? Um, and most people expect that you break up with your high school boyfriend or girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not Kyoru. Not Kyoru. <laughs> They're married for life. Yeah. Yuchi, though, Yuchi lost. Yuchi lost. Yuchi lost. Can we actually talk about how Yuchi is not in this episode at all? <laughs> not in this episode. And how the Q is curse broken. <laughs> 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 yeah, 
Yeah, I imagine we're getting a Yuki episode next episode. It's gonna be so funny. Yeah. I'm gonna laugh so much. It's gonna be insane, because I'm sure it's gonna be, like, a combination of just Yuchi being insane and, ta- like, an unbelievable mess, mm-hmm. and then, like, Yuki's curse breaking and me wanting to cry. Yeah. Like... I guess that's a... I feel like that can't be a spoiler, because literally everyone's curse is breaking. If you can't figure out that Yuki's curse is gonna break, that's on you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. Want to talk about the episode? Yeah. I liked that. I thought the opening moment was still good. Yeah, no, it was fun. It was fun to see, like, that very last scene of the last episode, but with, like, a POV flip. Yeah. That was fun. Um, I liked... Like, I felt like, um... The, like, Toru's overwhelm, like, when she sees Kyo is really visceral. I liked yeah. it a lot. But I also like that they, like, and this is also, I think, what they do in the manga is that there's, like, a comedic slant to it, which, like, yeah. I just, like, I really love that it's not, like, angst, angst, angst. Like, it's, like, the whole situation is kind of funny that she just, like, fucking bounces like that. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's, like, the thing about life is sometimes really intense emotional moments in your life are also just kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And, like, seeing a little bit of humor in it, I think, like, not only makes it, like, just fun, but also I think, like, it's kind of grounding in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I yeah, it was really fun just watching her just, like, fucking bolt. <laughs> and also the bit where, like... Like, Kyo catches up to her, and then she just rips off in the other direction, and the two people walking by are like, oh, he just got dumped, didn't he? <laughs> that guy just got dumped, and Kyo was like, yeah. The cat comments the, on it, too. Yeah, it was so funny. Um, no, I love the backwards retreat. That's one thing that I do remember from this arc in the manga, is that she, like, the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I did a physical motion. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent podcasting yeah. from Sophie. Um, but the backwards retreat, it's, it's very funny. It's, I'm glad they included it. Yeah. And it also just enhances how much Toru is just, like, f- on auto, like, out of control. Yeah. Like, she is just acting on some kind of, like, freakish animal instinct that even she does not feel in control of or understand. Because um, the whole time we're getting her inner monologue and she's like, this wasn't supposed to happen. I don't want to be doing this. Like, I, this is not what I planned, and yet here I am, fucking running through the streets of Tokyo right after I got out of the hospital. I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know I don't want to be doing this, but I really just can't help it. Uh, she, she's going the fuck through it. She's really going through it. Uh, it's like all of Toru's coping mechanisms all kicking in at once at high gear, and it's, yeah. like, bad. Like, it's bad. <laughs> it's, it's not a good time. She's no. just, like... She really wants, she just, it's, she does not want to be sad. Yeah. She does not want to be, I think she does not want to feel pitied in any way, um, and she doesn't want to be heartbroken, she doesn't want to be any of the things that she is. Mm -hmm. Um, but she can't help it, like, that's what happened, and she's, like, all of her emotions are completely justified, but she does not want to be feeling them. Right. No, she makes a comment where she's like, it's when she's running, I don't remember exactly when, but she says, um, after I understood that everything's over, that there's no role for me anymore, and, like, I think, like, that's a really big thing with Toru, is, like, her perceived, like, usefulness, um, and that, like, she can really, like, only take up space when she feels like she's necessary, 
Um, so like with Kyo, like she felt like she was useful to Kyo for a while, but now I think she feels like her presence only causes some pain just based on their last conversation. And then also like Toru placed so much importance on breaking the curse, but now she kind of like knows that like it's it's gonna come, it's gonna break on its own. And I think that that whole showdown with Akito really like solidified that idea for her that like, like Akito has reached a point of no return and um so there's nothing that she can really do anymore yeah yeah for sure also it's like this i think she's got this idea of herself that really wants to be like super graceful and like noble and above these kinds of selfish emotions and like yeah like you know i'm never gonna be uh like you know, like, I'm gonna be happy and, like, make peace with not being with Kyo, and, like, I'm gonna be okay with that, and I'm gonna smile for him, and, like, be somehow above the hurt I feel, mm -hmm. which is just, which is not realistic. Yeah. Obviously, it's not realistic, because, like, the, like, she's just, like, unable to actually control the actual feelings and heartache she's feeling, um, and is unable to kind of fulfill these ideals she's laid out for herself to be this kind of perfect emotionally stable like in control person who doesn't trouble others with her like trivial little yeah. feelings of being just really really hurt by someone she cares a lot about right which i think like you can really see it when like, Yuki comes to visit her. It's so cute. So cute. It's such a cute little scene, but also, like, so sad. <laughs> it's adorable because Yuki is like, Hi, it's Toru, my beloved Toru. And then, I think it's kind of funny how, like, Yuki and Toru have, like, obviously a really strong, intimate friendship, but they're also kind of bad about talking with their feelings to each other. Yeah, they are. Like, Yuki is like, I'm gonna try and breach this difficult subject, and Toru just pretends she doesn't hear it like she immediately bursts into tears and is just like pretending she's not she's like slapping her that was so sad yeah like, she like slaps her face to try and make herself stop crying and Yuki's like <laughs> you have a head injury <laughs> no it's very like um well it, it's interesting because like I feel like the way that Yuki like starts to like broach the topic breach the topic broach broach the topic is he's like he actually sounds like he's about to be really sympathetic to Kyo. <laughs> which is very out of character but obviously it's like he's come to a new understanding about Kyo and like it's Toru but like but yeah that's the that's not the way their relationship works the way their, their relationship works is that Yuki talks around his feelings to Toru and Toru's like you're great <laughs> and and then Toru doesn't really tell him anything yeah. so then for him to be like so let's talk about it when Kyo is the person who she usually talks about it it's like I think it's, like, going to a place where she's, like, really not very comfortable with. No, she's like, I can't. No, we're not <laughs> doing this. And I, th I think it's, like, honestly, it makes a lot of... Now that you say that it sounds like Yuki's going to be pretty similar to Kyo, it's like, I, like, Yuki wants them to get together. Yeah. It's, like, a thing, which is, I think, like, it's so funny where it's, like, he's going to be sympathetic to Kyo, not because he... I mean, he's got really complicated feelings about Kyo at this point, but not necessarily because he's like, I want Kyo to be happy, but because he's like, if I can help these two sort out their shit, it's going to make Toru really happy. I just need, like, her to... 
understand that he's um, going through it and that maybe they can sort something out and she's just like, no, we're not talking about this. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like, has the laundry piled up or you had a toilet paper, you know? <laughs> she's like in, in tears. Yeah. Like, how is the toilet paper situation? There's <laughs> <laughs> a shot where it's like, it's not looking at her eyes and it's just like, you see like her, the bottom of her face yeah. and like her chest and she's like, tears are streaming down her face when she's smiling. Yeah. It's a really big smile. Oh. It's very Toru. Toru. But, wow, Yuki gay best friend. Yeah. Yuki gay best friend. It's cute. It is cute how, like, he does not know how to comfort her. No. <laughs> He's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No. <laughs> he really doesn't. He has no idea. Yeah. Oh, Yuki. He tried. He tried. He did his best. Yeah. Um, I wrote Oami in all caps. Don't know why. She was fucking amazing I mean, this episode. Yeah. She was incredible. She's doing a really good job. She she's a great tour. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. I wrote down. I don't know why. I think it's when she's up on the roof. Yeah. Because it cuts away from that scene. And it's her on the roof, and she says, "I'm no good like this. I have to get over it, not dwell on it forever." Which is just like, first of all, like how long is it? A week or two. Yeah. You know, like, it really, like, hasn't been long enough for her to be beating herself up about, about being sad. Um, but she just, like, she does not... And this is, like, also kind of what she did with Kyoko when Kyoko died, is that she doesn't let her sit... She doesn't let herself sit with her emotions. And I think that, like, in general, like, Toru feels, like, incapacitated by negative emotion, and it fe- makes her feel, like, very, like, stuck and useless. Um, and so she rushes herself through grief. Mm-hmm. Um... And so that's why when she's faced with the real thing, she can't handle it. Like, all the residual hurt just comes, like, bubbling up, and she just, like, she can't deal with it, and she runs. I think part of it is that, like, Toru is a really wise person, and so she can really quickly kind of, like, figure out, like, she's, like, extremely sympathetic and compassionate to other people. So it's really easy for her to, like, come to, like, what would be a healthy emotional conclusion had she actually taken the time to sit with her feelings, but instead she just, like figures out what, like, the conclusion would be, and then just tries to get there without any taking any actual time to, like, let herself feel any of her feelings. Mm. Like, it's not, like, this conclusion she comes to where she's, like, you know, like, like, had what, you know, a, like, had the situation be, been, like, her and Kyo don't end up together, which is, like, a crazy situation, but, like, you know, like, her being, like, you know what, like, I'm at peace with this, I'm just happy that he's, like, able to go out and live his life, like, I want good things for him, even if this wasn't possible for us, and, like, I just want to, like, be here and enjoy the relationships I do have. It's, like, a good, normal, healthy conclusion to something upsetting. It's just that she didn't actually do any of the in-between steps to get there, (laughs) which is why she's a wreck. Right. It's just, and it's the fucking toxic positivity when she's like, smile, 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 like just forcing herself to be positive instead of like, I mean, she like, yeah, she doesn't like to let herself feel the pain and she also, yeah, doesn't want to cause trouble for others, but poor Toru. Toru. (laughs) Toru, beloved Toru. And then it isn't until she like, yeah, so she like runs and then she runs to that like little plaza that like the rest of their scene is in. And Kyo catches up with her. So did you have something else to say? No. no. Um, and that's when Toru, like, finally acknowledges, like, oh, like, I'm sad. Yeah. And I think that, like, with her, like, like, like we were saying, like, the dynamic she has with Kyo is that Kyo is the person who she um, confides in. Um, and Kyo is the person who, like, makes her feel okay about having negative emotions by accepting her and, like, 
you know, he always insists that it's okay that she takes up space. And so I think that it is like the reason that that is the moment where she realizes like, where she's able to acknowledge like, oh, I'm sad is because she like makes that connection. Um, seeing Kyo and being like, actually, my emotions can take up space, even though she's like still kind of fighting that within the scene where she's like, no, I'm fine. Just give me a moment. I'll stop crying. Like, it's kind of like, it's still like, she's able to like realize what she's doing more fully. She's like, you know, like, give me a second. I have a plan. But she's also like, oh shit, I'm sad. And like looking at him, I'm like sad. Yeah. I think it's partially also like, I think it's like, yeah, that combination of like, Kyo is that person she confides in, but also like, she hasn't had to look at him or see him in, like, this entire few weeks she's been in the hospital or whatever, however long it's been. And also she, like, won't talk about him. Like, she's just been refusing to engage in it, but now that he's, like, in front of her and she can see him with her eyes, she just, like, can't try and ignore it anymore. Like, there's no getting around it. Yeah. Then Keo comes and kneels. I like that he comes down yeah. to her level. Oh, wait, I have something I wanted to say. I forgot. Um, but I thought that this, like, bit of, like... Toru freaking the fuck out and, like, running around and Kyo chasing after her kind of called back to a bit of, like, a role reversal of, like, true form where Kyo flips and chases off, yeah. tears off, and Toru goes after him and now we get to see, like, Toru hit a low and tear off and not want to deal with this confrontation and Kyo being like, no, we, I'm, I'm gonna fucking chase you down. <laughs> yeah. I'm faster than you. He's <laughs> so funny. He is a jock. He is a jock. <laughs> she isn't. She isn't. You know, like, she's she's not unathletic, but she's not a jock. Like, she's I like, think she's unathletic. I don't know. She has, like, a kind of, like, physically demanding jock. True, true, yeah. true. So I imagine she's not, like... I mean, she's really clumsy. Yeah. But, but I imagine she's kind of strong. This is my opinion on Toru. Fair enough. But Toru... But, I mean, Kyo's ripped. Kyo's yeah. a little funky shredded. Little, little... He... I mean... Takaya draws him as a twink because she cannot draw anyone that isn't a twink. Yeah. Um, she does not know what a muscle is and you will not make her learn. <laughs> <laughs> the anime team does, though. The anime Remember team. when they drew Kyo fucking shredded that when was he, in season one when and he really should like not. He's wearing a hand towel. <laughs> he was like, that? And also, I think they showed his ass, didn't they? Or something or the ass. top of his ass. There was like a really like gratuitous shot of his yeah. back in the shower. <laughs> I remember I watched that and I was like, what the fuck? It was fuck? very weird. Thankfully like, they did not really do that again. Thank God. It's like, okay, like it's one thing if they did it to like current season three Kyo, but like I'm season like, one Kyo. I'm like, that, ew. That's a boy. That's a little boy. That's a little boy. Yeah. No. <laughs> Now he's a little bit less... I mean, I still don't want a gratuitous no, shower I, shot. No, I'm not saying of, I yeah, want a gratuitous but, shower shot of Kyo, but I am saying that he at least is, like, fully grown now. Yeah. <laughs> and yet he's still a full foot shorter than Kazuma. Kazuma. <laughs> All the adults are so much bigger than the teenagers. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I knew some pretty tall teenagers when yeah, I was in I high mean, school. Yeah, I mean, my brother finished growing in high school. Yeah. He caught up to my dad probably, like, his junior or senior year and then stopped. Um... Yeah, he's a little boy. <laughs> he's still. a little boy in season one. Uh, in season one, and he's still so much shorter than Cosmo, which is really funny. Cosmo must be really fucking tall. Yeah. I wonder if Cosmo's the tallest man. He might be. That wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Kyo comes, yeah, he kneels. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, yeah, a combination of, like, bringing himself down to, like, her level and also, like, you know, kind of kneeling in supplication, like, I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like this part a lot. 
like when he's saying he says i confess my own sins said everything i wanted to say and ignored your feelings which is like something kyo has done before like yeah. both to like it makes me think of like like the thing that he said to yuki like the first time they met like that's very much what he did um but also like he's done it to toru a bunch of times mm-hmm. um but i think that like this is the first time he's like really been able to like fully acknowledge it because the tangible consequences are sitting right in front of him and it hurts him to know that like he hurt Toru and like this apology felt like so good and genuine. Yeah. Very much like he means this and yeah. you can tell that like Kyo does not like hurting Toru. I mean who likes hurting Toru? <laughs> she um but you know. He gets down, he's like, I like, I was selfish, and I hurt you, and that was bad, and you don't have to forgive me, but I am gonna ask for, like, one more chance, which I thought was good. Yeah. So good. The whole, the whole confession monologue was so good. It's really good. Very genuine. Very much, like, you know, it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, I feel like, like, I, I, I enjoy, uh, you know, teenagers who are realistically just kind of bad at handling their emotions and like hurt people they love but like find ways to like communicate that through that and like learn how to forgive each other and understand that they're every they're like all growing up together yeah Um, and I think Kyoru is a really good example of like people who really love each other and who kind of is just a product of like being traumatized teenagers like there's a certain amount of inescapable harm they're gonna do to each other and that they can, like, have the ability, like, they have the love and, like, faith in each other to be able to, like, really, uh, communicate through that and work past it. It's good. I love to see it. They're good. They're good. Also, I just, like, I love that they took out that fucking stupid bullshit with Uo and Hana and Kyo because it it really removes the whole miscommunication aspect of it because I hate miscommunication as conflict I think it's so fucking stupid but like in this way like it's not miscommunication it's like them like it's Kyo like growing to the point where he's able to see Toru instead of being stopped and then when he does go to see Toru he does actually see Toru and then and Toru like because they were stopping him because Toru didn't want to see him yeah and that is gone now which is so much better it's just so much better yeah it works a lot better yeah Thanks. You guys made a good decision. Yeah. You made a good change. One. I'm sure there's been a couple others, but yeah, like, there has. Yeah. This has been a, I think, a pretty big improvement on this last sort of segment of the manga that was not terrible, but not good. <laughs> it has some. It's my least favorite part of the manga, the hospital arc. I hate it. It's also way longer in the manga. Thank fucking god, it was only like one episode. <laughs> Yeah. Because I don't really count this part, because she leaves the hospital, so it's yeah. not the hospital arc. Yeah, true. I barely, I, like, barely remember the hospital arc. Exactly, because like. it's super boring. So true. Because it exists for Yuchi. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Yuchi. Sorry, Yuchi. <laughs> it's not your fault that you're the most compet high school relationship ever to be a compet high school relationship. It's not your fault. I mean, it's, it's a very realistic compet high school relationship. It is. Yeah. But then they get married and have kids. Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler for Fruits Basket Another. Yeah, whatever. Fruits Basket Another barely feels canon to me. It feels like... It's, I don't consider it canon. It, it's it's Takaya's post-canon, fully illustrated fanfiction. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's her extremely self-indulgent, contrived fan anime of her own. It's or like, fan manga of her own manga. It's like... 
it's there's a, just so many people where I'm like, they wouldn't have kids. There's no way they would have kids. Yeah. It's funny, but it's like, it's like not good. It's, yeah. It, like, I, I, oh, the other thing about it is that it is Takaya's Akitoru fantasy. It really is. Which is, I hate so much, but a red Akitoru fantasy. Because of course. Yeah. Because that was the thing that was stopping her making Akitoru canon, was that Akito was a woman. Yeah. Nothing else. Not the fact that that would be a horrible pairing. <laughs> Sorry, unpopular opinion, I guess. I don't like hockey tour. Neither do I. Um, oh, Takaya. She does, though, which, I mean, it makes so much sense. She has yeah. such bad taste. <laughs> Except for Kyoru. So true. <laughs> she God. does! You're not wrong! She has terrible taste. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> I have a note that says, I like this shot. It's full shoujo, but pretty, but I don't know what shot it's talking about. Thanks, past me. Uh, cool. <laughs> at some point, this sequence just gets, like, full shoujo, but honestly... Are you talking about the disco ball thing? After the kiss? I think it's after the kiss. Yeah, it is after the kiss. There was something else that was a little, that was quite shoujo, but I forget. That was before the really sparkly eye. There was, well, there was, like, really good moment, like, right before the kiss. That yeah. Point. Is it like, when he, like, is caressing he, her face? Yeah, he, like, wipes her tears yeah. off, and you see her, like, there's, like, a shine that, like, goes yeah. over her eye. Ugh, it was, it looked so good. It that looked great. so good. Like, I really like the way that they animated his hand, like, and, yeah. like, I like that it was, like, it's kind of clumsy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, it's, like, like, with, like, the heel of his palm. Yeah. Yeah. And I just love, I, I really like, like, first of all, I think that the kiss was really well done. Yeah. Um, and I like that it, I actually really like that it's, like, through her tears, because she, like, finally lets herself start crying. Yeah. It's just this, you know, like, this radical acceptance and unconditional love, but, like, this time, like, from yeah. Kyo to Toru, and it's usually the other way around. Yeah. I like, yeah, we skipped ahead a little, I like the little right. bit where, like, he confesses and he's like, can I have, like, one more chance? Mm-hmm. Like, I totally get that I was a huge asshole and you don't have to say yes and Tor is just like wait does that mean that like we can be together? <laughs> he was like yeah we're already holding hands <laughs> yes that was so that cute was so cute and then she just bursts into tears which I think it's like it's finally she's like because it's like they have that relationship they have that connection like Kyo's like probably basically the only person she feels safe around in that way to mm-hmm. like really just kind of break down it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so well done. They deserve it. They really deserve it. <laughs> the heads. <laughs> the heads. Um. And I did really like um, when Toru like like says it back when she's like, "I love you. I really love you." It was very um, very upbeat and very fitting. Yeah. No, they kiss and then. Although Kyoto said that great that gross thing. Yeah, we're. Takaya, I don't... Why? Simply, he's like, he said... Okay, so he's like, oh, this is the second time we've kissed. And she's like, what? And he's like, oh, you don't remember? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he's like, oh, you don't remember? And he's like, remember it on your own, will you? If someone said that to me, they... uh, I would completely fly off the handle. (laughs) Remember it on your own, bitch. (laughs) Fuck, that's so gross. It's gross. It's gross. It's gross. It's I wish he hadn't even brought it up, to be yeah. honest. I mean, it would have been kind of fucked up if he kept it a secret, but maybe that was a conversation for, like, not right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, and then I wrote LOL Disco Ball. Yeah, it's like... Oh, wait. 
I'm confused. I don't know when the disc ball, ball happens. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like a shit. Yeah, it, it's this crazy shot where it's like just like so sparkly. Yeah. It's like every sparkle they upended a bottle of glitter <laughs> over the shot. I, I'm kind of obsessed with it. Yeah, it's like at first I was kind of like when I first saw it, I was like, ugh. But like in the moment, like I think it works. I feel like if there's any moment to go full shoujo, it's here. Yeah. I but this like is beyond shoujo. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's cute though. It's cute. Um. And yeah, no. Like I like I like that like you know like obviously Kyo's fucking thrilled, um, but he's like he still has that kind of moment of being like I am still cursed. <laughs> like I wish I didn't you didn't have to deal with this. Like I wish this this was not something you had to cope with in order to be with me. And Toru's just like, dude, I love you. I obviously love you. Like that is not a problem. It has not been a problem. Like we are. Stronger than that, like, we're, yeah. like, our love is invincible is her little cheesy line. So it's cute. Really cute. Um, but I think it's very much, like, we have been through so much together and through so many hardships and problems, like, we're, we've got it. We're yeah. At, this is rock solid. Um, I fucking love you. It's really sweet. It's just so sweet. And she's, like, it's just great. Warms the heart. Yeah. And then they do hug. And they do hug. The camera sweep on the hug looked so good. It looked so good. It's great. And then we get that little ugly wide. Oh, and it pulls out to such an ugly fucking wide, which just sucks because it's like, that manga panel is gorgeous. It's and I think that the camera sweep, like, like that was a really good choice. But, like, why not just keep it intimate? Yeah. I think it's just, like... A lot of, there's a lot of, like, really big, like, full, like, vertical pages in, man in the manga, mm -hmm. and then they translate those into wides most of the time, and I'm like, this doesn't work. Yeah. It does not work. I, like, you're gonna have to figure out a different way to format this that gives it the same, like, because it, what it's, like, the reason it works is it's vertical, and so two people standing up take up, like, the whole right. page. yeah. And you, like, but when you do a wide, it makes them really small. It doesn't work. It sucks because it goes, like, it went from, like, so it pulls out to that wide, and then the next shot is, like, a, a medium shot of Akito. So, like, why not do a medium shot of them and then do a wide shot of Akito and then pull into Akito instead of wide shot to medium shot to wide shot? Make it make sense? It don't ever make sense. It <laughs> never makes sense. <laughs> um... Oh yeah, I said, like, after the I love you, it's like, I do say, sparkle time, shoujo, <laughs> baby, that was probably disco ball. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love the, like, you see, like, the moment it, like, hits them on their face, like, we just get these two shots of them, like, looking, like, shocked, and then it cuts to Akito. Akito? Who the <laughs> fuck is Akito? <laughs> that's, that's OG Akito. Akito. <laughs> uh, um, Akito. Just saying goodbye, and it's just like, oh, such a good way to show. I like that, like, the curse breaking is never, like, you, aside from the, sometimes we get the shots of the chords, um, but I like a lot of the times it's just, like, you see them react, and it's, yeah. like, usually just, like, a small little reaction. It's great. I yeah. love the way they do that. It's gorgeous. And that, like, the shot of them just, like, realizing that, and the cut to Akito, oh, it hits. So good. And then we get this scene, it goes right into a scene of Akito and Toru. Yeah. Um, we love our foils. Um, we like, so, like, Akito saying, like, um, 
I wrote down, like, they said, because you're so pure and pretty compared to me, it's, like, that, that thing that, like, Akito, like, like, Akito's, like, world has, like, basically completely turned upside down, but it didn't actually, like, change their frame of thinking yet, because, like, you just can't change it that fast. It, it takes time. Um, but, like, they can't look at others and not decide who in the relationship to put on a pedestal. Um, and, like, I think that, like, one of the, like, biggest differences between Toru and Akito in their foil is that, um, like, Akito is a very black and white thinker, and Toru is a very, very nuanced and open-minded, um, which she, like, she brings up later in the scene. But, like, I really liked the word choice of, like, pretty, because um, I think, like, there's a lot to Akito where, like, they're thinking about how they're a failure at womanhood and they're looking at Toru who is this like perceived perfection of it like she's pretty she's kind she's a perfect housewife and it made me think of Akito's initial meeting with Toru where Akito calls her ugly um which would like imply like you know to Toru's failure to meet gender roles so that like basically a put down so that Akito can feel better about themselves <laughs> yeah I think it's a little it's it's funny when like, in anime, I think it's really hard to tell when people are actually pretty yeah. when people are, like, supposed to be plain-looking because anime makes everyone look like anime characters. Yeah. Like, unless you're doing something more unconventional with the art style. Like, in Mob Psycho, you can tell when characters are supposed to be more plain-looking and supposed to be, like, the pretty girl in the class. And in styles, like, the one they chose for Fruits Basket, there's really not a difference. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because I think this is the first time someone's really brought up Toru's physical appearance in a positive way. Yeah. Because the reason, like, like, Kyo's obviously in love with Toru, but he's never remarked on her physical yeah. appearance I ever. think she's supposed to be, like, really average looking. Yeah. I think she's supposed to be, like, cute. Yeah. So it's, like, it's interesting. Like, and, like, we get, like, Rin, who has, like, big titties, or what? <laughs> she has big titties and Toru is really flustered by her, right? Yeah. Well, she's um, also a Soma. I think it, yeah. like, goes without saying that all of the Somas are super hot. Yeah. <laughs> 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 just like as a rule you know you might turn into an animal but at least you're sexy people comment on how hot Akito is too yeah god <laughs> um but it's interesting to see Akito be like I don't know in some ways like intimidated by Toru's appearance uh but yeah I I really like this scene where Akito is like yeah just kind of like not change their way of thinking, but just flipped it so now they're the bad guy and someone else is the good guy. Mm. Um, and then Toru's, I really like Toru's response. It's such a good response. Yeah. Of being like, you can't categorize people like that. And sorting these people, sorting people into categories of like good and bad is not only like harming yourself, but often harming other people. Because if you like create a certain like role of them that they're supposed to follow, like, uh, adhere to, then, like, they might, uh, it might, like, hurt the way they perceive themselves, or, like, cause, like, unnecessary pressure on them, and then Tor, like, Tor's, like, you have to real, like, puts a lot of emphasis on the fact that you have to understand that, like, everyone is complex, and has capacity for good and bad, and it's unhelpful, like, these categories, these, like, labels and ways of thinking are never going to be a useful way of viewing people, and understanding that everyone is instead just, like, a complex human being with their own problems, with, like, cap like capacity for growth, mm -hmm. is, like, the best way to, like, get through life and, like, be compassionate to yourself and others. You just said, like, exactly what I had for you. 
<laughs> of that line too. <laughs> that means we're right. <laughs> But no, it like it reminds me of I know you haven't seen Bojack Horseman, but there's a part in Bojack Horseman where they talk about like I think the line is like there aren't like Diane says like I don't think there are good and bad people. We're all just people who do good and bad things. Yeah. Which like yeah, I think like very much encapsulates like Toru's whole philosophy where it's like you can do good things and you can do bad things, but to like ascribe such an absolute to yourself like doesn't leave you any growth, like any room for growth. Yeah. And I think there's a way, like, I think that this, like, has such capacity to be interpreted in kind of bad faith to be like, oh, like, Toru is equating, like, her desire to break the curse to, like, Akito's being an abusive cult. Yeah. Which are obviously, like, super different things and super different levels of bad. And, like, Toru's like, you know, like, I'm doing something that's really hurting you and it's gonna, like, I, I've been trying to, like, ruin your life, mm -hmm. so, like, wouldn't that make me bad? And obviously those are not things that should necessarily be equated, but I think if you're really looking at it and the f at how Toru's framing it, it's less about, like, you know, like, oh, all things are equally bad. It's more just she's, like, you really have to think about it from a perspective of, like, capacity to grow and capacity mm -hmm. to go do good and capacity to go do e evil. It's not about, like deciding who's the worst and who's the best because doing that is not going to leave like it's like it's the point that there's this really wide gap in like how bad the thing they're doing is um the point is that even the people you think of as the most morally pure might have are still doing harm mm. um in some way even if that harm is more justified or something or whatever. yeah definitely and, like, yeah, I think it, like, very much speaks to, like, you know, like, every, like, she, Toru acknowledges that, like, everyone's emotional truth is true to them. Yeah. And, like, Akito's pain doesn't not exist because Akito's an abuser. Like, it still exists and it's still real to them. Um, and it also, like, I think it really speaks to, and, like, this does apply to Akito, but it also applies in real life, a lot of abusers are victims of abuse. So a lot of the things, like, and I'm not saying this to, like, excuse abuse or anything, but a lot of the things that abusers do are done from a place of, like, pain. Yeah. And it's, like, like, it might not feel as good to want for, like, an abuser to reform mm. as it does for them to be punished. Like, I think, like, wanting revenge is a very, like, visceral sort of emotional thing. And, like, I think we talked about this last episode, too, but just, like, this idea that, like, it's more worthwhile and ultimately more fulfilling to kind of, like, deal with some sort of, like, uncomfortable, like, emotions of, like, wanting... It's not... It's not going to be productive to convince Akito that they're evil, it's just going to, like, Akito's just going to be miserable, and who knows, like, like it's, it's not going to go anywhere good. Yeah. And convincing Akito that instead they have capacity to grow and become a better person, and, like, coming to them from a place of empathy, even though they really have done horrible fucking shit, is ultimately going to be better for everyone involved. Even yeah. if it's not as satisfying as whatever Akito, like being miserable and realizing that they're so fucking evil and then something bad happens. It's just, it's like, it might be initially satisfying, but then, like, it's not going to go anywhere good, yeah. you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, I also really like, at, like, the end of this scene, we get a parallel. So, like, Toru is, like, um, I mean, she's physically pushing through fear when she says this, but, like, I want to be your friend. And it reminded me of when Toru asked Yuki to be her friend in season one, where it's, like, um, they, I think, I think that, like, 
Toru at kind of like on the surface seems like a little bit of a pushover, but she's not. She has a very strong um, like moral backbone and she like very wholeheartedly believes that everyone deserves a second chance. And like, even if the situation is like, the second chance is Yuki because he turned into a rat. <laughs> All the way to Akito who attempted murder. <laughs> you know, it's just like she really, really believes in her morality. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. I love her. Yeah. I think that's everything I have to say on that scene. Me too. Um, then we move into this... Zodiac story. Uh, Zodiac story retelling, which is yeah. fun. I, I like that, like, we get this story retold and retold and retold. It's awesome. It's, like, it both works as, like, um, just, like, a way to, like, frame different elements of the seasons and different elements of the stories you go through and, like, also just, like, remind the, the audience of, like, kind of the origins of this, but also the fact that, like, the story gets retold and retold and changes a little bit at each retelling. Yeah. It's, like, very much, like, it's this oral history and how oral histories work and, like, things change as, like, they get reinterpreted by successive generations and by people changing things here and there and how it's gotten, like, changed over time and then also how this, like, initial curse has gotten changed over time over the generations and, like, what it meant to the people who like, created the story and what it means now. I think it just works on so many levels. It's so good. Yeah. Alright, let me tell you about the insane research I did. <laughs> Which, listeners, I actually posted something about this, like, today, so if you read it already, sorry, I'm going to not talk about it again. <laughs> so the house... Um, I noticed that it had a thatched grass roof, which, like, I remembered is, like, um, a very, like, very, very old traditional, um, style of architecture in Japan. It's actually a UNESCO heritage site of these houses with the thatched roof, so I was looking it up because I wanted to learn more about them and see if it had any significance. And so the one that Kamisama lives in is called Asanka, um, which is the mountain dwelling. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what the, that's what it is. Um... And then I looked up Sanka, and it ends up that the Sanka are a Javanese nomadic mountainous indigenous group um, who were social outcasts due to cultural language differences. I know. Huh. I know. Um, they resisted assimilation like other indigenous Japanese, like the Ainu and the Okinawa people, um, but they were hunter-gatherers, and their, um, like, the skill sets for their jobs became obsolete after Japan's post-war economic miracle. Um, and, um, and now Sanka is actually a discriminatory word in Japanese. Um, and also what I found interesting was that there's very little formal research done on them and there's actually discourse over whether or not they even existed, like where they came from. And the people who do study them are folklore scholars. Wild. So like, I was like, wait, this is all so applicable to this and yeah. that like, they're in a socially ostracized group because they're different. Um, they're being like, um, it, it's an oral history. Um, they're being like kind of forced and like this like kind of like reminds me of like this whole like traditionalism versus modernity thing of the somas like so much resisting this like turn of the century, rapid globalization, modernization. Um, where, like, the Sanka people were very much resisting assimilation, um, but they just, they couldn't resist anymore because they couldn't continue to live the way that they were living in the 20th century. Because the, the land that they were living on, like, became industrialized. Um, 
and their way of life became outdated. Um, and, and also that they were like, like, and now it's a discriminatory word and they think that they might have become basically like very low class people like now. Mm -hmm. Um, so still ostracized from society. Damn. Isn't that fucking wild? That's wild. <laughs> All right. Like, Takaya, that's so political. I know. Okay. <laughs> and huh. it, it really, like, like it, it makes me think about how, like, you know, like, obviously these people faced violence from the decentralized Japanese government, just like a lot of indigenous Japanese did. Um, but at the same time, like, the post-war economic miracle was an amazing thing for Japan. It completely turned... Their country was in shambles. You know, they were never going to recover from the war without that. Um, so, like, there, I think, like, it speaks to, and, like, it speaks to the Sama family, too, that, like, there are a lot of horrors that come with progress. Yeah. I've taken, um, a, I took, um, political ecology, which dealt a lot with, like, what development means and, like, what do we define as progress, and mm -hmm. I was living in Peru for a couple months, um, with this program, and, like, talking to different, like, indigenous communities in the area, and, like, yeah, like, what, like, it's, like, there's these, it's this conflict of, like, they want things like access to education and access to infrastructure and water, but they also sometimes will refuse, they'll, like, protest having roads built and stuff like that, because even though it would mean, like, access to more resources for their community, they also know that it's going to bring people who are going to overhunt their land and people who are going to um, cut down wood and do illegal mining and basically really degrade the environment that they rely on to survive. And so this, like, resistance to what we consider progress is very much, like, based in, like, them very much understanding that progress might be progress for other people and just trample them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um... It's cool. I was also thinking about like the post-war economic miracle and and the the watering down of the curse and because like this whole story is just like so heavy with like co Japanese cultural references of like like even when you think about like the sake and the story like sake is so deeply ingrained in Japanese culture for thousands and thousands of years um, and how watered down this story has become and when you look at like the resistance of like Japan was isolationist for so long. And it's because their culture is super important to them, is one of the reasons, because their culture is super important to them. Um, but during the American occupation, things changed really fast. Um, but it's that, like, during the American occupation, things changed really fast, and some people embraced this, like, new Western, westernization of Japan, and the fact that they were now this, like, huge economic power on a global stage. Um, and some people really, really resisted it. And that is a big thing in Fruits Basket um, in general. But, like, it's it's a lot... Because of when Fruits Basket is actually set, like, around the turn of the century, which is, like, also a change in era. Mm -hmm. um, the Showa era was the post-war economic miracle. Um, and then the economic bubble burst and everything fell apart. Mm -hmm. The economy fell apart. And it became very hectic. Um... And they got a new emperor, so that's why it was started a new era. Um, and, like, yeah, it's just, like, it's very much about, like, the ine the inevitability of change and how, like, um, and the story speaks to it, too, where um, you just, 
there's nothing that humans can do against the march of time. Things are just going to change, and whether or not you accept that with or without pain is, like, up to you. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that, like, everyone is going to be affected by it in a different way. Yeah. Like, what the curse breaking and what this change has meant for, like, Kyo is going to be entirely different for what it means for Akito, and entirely different for what it means to, like, the maids of the mm. estate. And, like, it's really... Like, some people, it's going to, like, for some people, it's, like, when we think about, like, progress, um, which I'm doing air quotes that you can't see because this is an audio medium, (laughs) progress, like, in some ways, it's, like, yeah, like, progress has made, you know, uh, things a lot more accessible for people with, like, disability and stuff. Like, there's been advancements, advances in medicine that have really changed lives and make things, like, so much better, but then that same progress might also mean that, like, some indigenous community gets wiped out. Mm -hmm. So, like, what it means to, like, have all of a sudden, like, someone's life is getting so much better, and they're seeing this, like, new ability to, um... They're having, like, a new sort of freedom and stability and comfort, but then there's also people that this change change is really going to harm. It's going to upend their whole life. And it's not necessarily, like... It's not universal. It's not a mm. universal good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think Fruits Basket is, like, definitely leans more in favor of, like, progress is a good thing. Yeah. Um, which I have issues with as someone <laughs> who has, like, studied uh, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, not as much as some people, but a little bit, I think, uh, just because of a study, like, environmental science and stuff, you have to kind of think about, like, what progress means and, like progress is going to help some people and hurt some people in different ways and like how do you balance those and how do you find solutions that cause the least harm and do the most good yeah and like and sometimes like you have to also think about like what are the things that are really worth preserving right and what do you take with you because sometimes it's like yeah like when we're looking at how to like improve our agriculture system so it's not like destroying the soil often what we do is we go and we consult with, like, indigenous farmers and, like, see how they have been doing their traditional farming practices for as long as, for generations and generations and generations on the same soil without, like, really fucking it up. Um, so it's, like, understanding that there's real value in these, like, traditions, but then, like, there's also real value in, like, the quote-unquote progress. Right. And then also, like, if you think about it, like, because I'm thinking about Fiddler on the Roof, always. (laughs) Fiddler on the Roof is extremely popular in Japan. And the reason is because they can really relate to the Jews and progress, right? In that, like, um, both the Japanese and the Jews, very, very insular groups, um, don't like outsiders, um, were isolated, and also their tradition and their cultures are extremely important to them. And when you think about, like, Jews and Jews having to adapt and assimilate in, like, America, um, in the 19th and 20th centuries, and how, like, we've had a lot of progress, like, women are so much more equal in, in Judaism now. Like, we used to not even, like, they would split genders up, women had to sit on the balcony for a synagogue, um, and cover their hair and everything, and now it's very normal for women to be, like, fully involved in the temple. Um, but at the same time, we lost our language. You know, it, we, Yiddish is gone, it's a dead language, pretty much. So, like, so even, like, within the group, there's good and bad things that happen to everyone in the group. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
I love the the focus on like the tradition and the modernity thing. Like I think that it's like I think it's the whole commentary on it is like very poignant, yeah. especially combined with all of the gender commentary in Fruits Basket too, because that is like a really big thing I think that comes along with quote unquote progress yeah. is gender equality. Yeah, for sure. Wow. God, what notes did I have <laughs> on this that weren't just about like the politics of like development? <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. Well, I like that Kamisama uses they, them pronouns. <laughs> I mean, I like it because it kind of, um, re- I, I think it, like, further removes them from humanity. Yeah. I thought it was, this was a funny thing. I thought it was funny they looked like the IMA. Um, <laughs> not because, but I think what makes it funny isn't that Kamisama looks like Ayame, it's that Ayame looks like a god. <laughs> like, like, Ayame's appearance is so beautiful and otherworldly, they resemble god. Well, that's what he told, um, his teacher at school, right? <laughs> no, he told them that he was, like, a, a royalty. Yeah, royalty. Which, I mean, often royalty is often, like, they claim to be descended from gods or yeah. whatever. That's pretty common. But, yeah, that's pretty... So fucking funny. Um, yeah... I liked how I started where we're, aside from, yeah, all this stuff on what we just talked about, like, <laughs> it's like we start out seeing how, like, power is isolates, and, like, mm-hmm. obviously we've been dealing with that with Akito, and how Akito having all of this, Akito and also Akita, where they have all this power, but they're fucking miserable because it makes them, it, it separates them from the rest of uh, humanity, and, like, it really stunts their ability to form connections with others. Mm. Um, and so we see that with Akira, we see that with Akito, and then we see that with Kamisama. Yeah. Um, and I also, like, it's like, I remember, this is kind of a funny little anecdote about me. One of the things I like to do at lunch in high school is I would turn to people and I would ask, would you prefer to die tomorrow or live forever? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> because I was an intense little freak. <laughs> because I've always found immortality to be really horrifying. Yeah. Um, and so, like, my answer was always, I'd die tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is very much, like, like, this isn't about, Im- like, obviously this is reincarnation and not immortality, but it's like, you see this kind of thing in, like, vampire novels and stuff, like, uh, and just this, like, idea that eternity is always going to be a curse, because happiness can't exist without agency and freedom, including freedom from past versions of yourself. Mm. Like, you can't hold yourself accountable to every past iteration of you that's ever existed, and that includes, like, your childhood stuff. Like, sometimes I feel like... You'll be like, you'll think about like who you were as a kid and who you wanted to be as an adult and you might feel guilty because you feel like you've in some way let down a past version of yourself. And I think like you really need, in order to be happy, you need to make peace with making decisions based on who you are now and the person you currently are and maybe what you need in the future. But like holding yourself accountable to everything you've ever thought you were supposed to be in the past is never going to really make you happy. And then this is like blown up to this like big like, spanning ages scale of, like, they're making a decision in a moment where they're in a specific environment with specific relationships to each other that are inevitably going to change over time, and the situation they're in is inevitably going to change, and so, but holding to this promise and refusing to give themselves freedom or adaptability is just going to become a curse, and there's no fucking escaping it. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. I like, I also, I like how many, like, parts of the story, like, speak to the actual, like, plot of Fruits Basket itself. Mm -hmm. Like, so Kamisama says, um, or I don't know who says it, maybe, maybe Toru, narrator Toru says it. Um, perhaps those who are different from humans would be willing to be my friends. Which, like, obviously is a Zodiac. I mean, it's a Zodiac story. But also it reminded me of, like, Toru's little fruit basket game. And also, like, her kinship with Yuki and Kyo in the very beginning. That, like, all three of them kind of felt that they were similar because they were ostracized in a way. Same with, like, Toru and Uo and Hana. Yeah. Like, they're all... Toru kind of collects funny little outcasts. And, like, I think, like... That's really, I mean, if I think back to, like, my high school friend group, we were all, like, the gay kids who formed a fucked up little friend group that, like, totally imploded because the reason we became friends was we were all like, oh, shit, we're all having a sexuality crisis at the same time. This is a basis for friendship. It wasn't. <laughs> but, like, I think that really easily happens if you are, like, marginalized in some way. You're going to latch onto other people who maybe aren't experiencing the same thing as you but something you can relate to each other over. And I think you often form these really intense, often codependent bonds with other people if you're in this situation. And then I also think that, like, not to talk about call-out culture, but, like... <laughs> Please, we've already talked about the ethics of, like, ecology, like, ecological ethics. <laughs> um, but it's, like, this... I think often these, like, communities that form kind of based around, like, organizing a marginalized identity together, and, like, you form these bonds, but then these groups can often, are often full of people who are traumatized, um, and are often, because they've, like, experienced rejection so much growing up from, like, society at large, or, like, their parents, or who knows what, um, they can often be, like, really quick to turn on each other. Like, I find often you get these, like, they hold, you hold, you end up holding yourself and, like, the, your community to a kind of bizarre standard of, like, because you've all, like, you all know intimately the pain of, like, what rejection feels like and what, like, discrimination feels like, and so when you feel like one of your own has transgressed in some way, people will turn on them really, really viciously, and I think you see that in a lot of, like, um, communities, like, I don't know, it's, like, I hate to bring up contrapoints, but, like, I think that's kind of what happened to her, yeah. where, like, she made a couple missteps... And because it was this kind of community that was not necessarily all organized around, like, I mean, it was like, she's like a left tuber or whatever the fuck. But, like, a lot, she obviously attracted a lot of, like, trans people, and it was the trans community that called her out most vitriolically. Um, because they felt like it was a, some sort of betrayal. And I think that we see this with this story, where, like, this is a group that formed kind of out of a feeling of marginalization and unacceptance, and the cat like, speaking out against, like, this eternity and, like, voicing dissent feels like rejection, and so they turn on the cat really aggressively. Mm. Yeah. So true. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I took notes about the sake. <laughs> Please tell me about the sake. Um, well, sake has been part of Japanese culture since the mid-700s. Neat. Pretty old. Pretty old. And it's also been intertwined with politics since the mid-700s, but before it was, like, a drink for, like, regular people, it was, um, used in, like, Shinto purification rituals, and also as, like, um, offerings to the gods, like, it was reserved for gods, and then over time it became a drink, like, a, a, a staple, basically, in mm -hmm. Japanese culture, um, so I thought, like, there's, there's probably, like, more Shinto stuff in this story than I know, because I'm, 
not Asian. <laughs> I am Asian, but I'm like. But I, is a Shinto bit... specifically Japanese? Shinto is specifically okay. Japanese. I'm Chinese and not very Chinese. And <laughs> extremely Americanized, so I couldn't tell you shit. Like, I could try and tell you about Confucianism, but I would be wrong and you shouldn't <laughs> listen to me. <laughs> no, but Shintoism is very much. It's Japanese. It's Japanese. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure there's even more in there, but the sake kind of stood out to me just cause I knew that sake was like used for religious ceremonies and stuff. Um, so it made sense. Yeah. Also sake is really good. I'll have to try it. She gets you smacked. <laughs> go to the Asian grocery store, we'll go get some. They don't sell alcohol. Fucking Massachusetts! In Massachusetts! <sighs> I might have it at the liquor store actually. I'll no. talk about this later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I want sake! <laughs> Uh, yeah so then the cat's like no and everyone's like fuck you and then he dies <laughs> um we love the cycles of it all the cycle of life the cycle of the moon they mention the moon all the time which like you know it controls the seasons it controls the tide um and then everyone dies yeah then everyone dies i really like kamisama like just sitting in the ruins of his own making yeah. So good. Wow. Um, and the, also, like, the, like, the whole, like, his ostracization is completely self-imposed. Mm-hmm. Like, he made the choice not to go down to be with the humans. Yeah. And that is, like, I mean, that's what makes this whole thing, it's one of the things that makes this whole thing just, like, so poisonous. Yeah. Wow. And also, yeah, and the fact that, like, the cat being, like, I want like, I love you, and I want to, like, meet you again in the next life, but, like, in the day, and where you've made connections with other people, and, like, we're not just one little fucked up codependent little polycule, um. <laughs> Kamisama and his queer platonic relationships with the Zodiac animals. sometimes a challenge to like grow and improve from someone who cares about you can sometimes feel like an attack mm. and I think this is very much a thing yeah here yeah Awami's narration was so good so also good. just she's so amazing I love her so much thank you Awami love you Awami thanks queen love you queen <laughs> <laughs> um, she has a twitter account I'm gonna tweet at her <laughs> good job this up <laughs> That's all I had to say about this. Yeah, video, me too. Actually. Loved that little cutaway. That was great. It was great. It was so um, well done. Obviously, we managed to milk that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's worth being milked, right? Yeah, for like, sure. I, I, there are probably people who can milk it even more than us. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we're like Americans. Because we're white Americans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would love to see like analysis by like actual Japanese people Absolutely. like Japanese folklorists. That would be great. Yeah. Um... If you know any Japanese folklorist fruit basket fans, please hit us up. Hit please. our line. Um, yeah. And then we jump 
Back to Akito. Akito. I really liked Akito's feet straddling the threshold of the room as they're releasing the curse. Very sexy. Love the doors. Yeah, we love the doors. <laughs> I love that they're lumping in, like, God and Akira. That yeah. Because they're like, Dad, God. Like, it's yeah. All, it's um, the, the conflation of it all. Yeah. Um, and then we start getting, we start kind of going through them. Yeah. Oh, wait, I wanted to say something about Akito's little monologue that they give here. About, like, I really like that Akito breaking the curse basically functions as a final... It's a final goodbye to Akira as well as to the identity that he foisted onto Akito. And I also think that, like, it, it really encapsulates, like, the terror of necessary change and, like... And also, like, I think that, like... I, th- I, ch- I talked about this, like, a little bit last season, but I think it's a lot more pertinent here of transitioning out of your early 20s. Because <laughs> Akito is in their early 20s, and I think that there's, like... I'm 25. So, like, when I was in my early 20s, I felt like a, a kid pretending to be an adult. Like, I, I didn't feel like an adult. And it wasn't until my mid-20s that I felt like an adult, finally. Like, and... And I think that, like, Akito's whole story of, like, finding identity outside of the, um, like, the institution that you had always tied yourself to. And, like, obviously with Akito, it's the Soma family, but with, like, me or, like, most other Americans, it's school. Um, when you graduate from college after being in school for 16 years of your life and you're 21, like, that's really fucking scary that you have to build this new identity for yourself and figure out how to, you're looking terrified because you're about to graduate. Listeners, I graduated last weekend. <laughs> so if he's like, you're fucked, man. I mean, no, it's just no. like, it's growing pains, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like, like, obviously, like, Akito's... Akito's situation is very extreme, and Akito really has to build an identity from the ground up, which most people don't have to do after they graduate college. You still have an identity, you just have to figure out what to do with it. Yeah. Um, outside of the institution that you had always associated yourself with. Um, but, like, I think it is, like, I think it's really important that Akito is the age that they are when the curse breaks, because it really is this, like, it's almost like a set, like, the teenagers are having a, a coming of age, as in they're going from teenagehood into adulthood, but Akito is going into, like, finally being, like, their own individual. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to freak you out. <laughs> I'm not freaked out. It's fine. <laughs> also, honestly, I've been in school a lot less than other people, because I was True. And you still have one more year. And I still have one more year. It's like grad school, which is weird, but <laughs> I'm a grad student now. That's fucked up. <laughs> um, yeah. What was I saying? Um, so then we get everyone's curse breaking. Then we get everyone's curse breaking. Um, we start with... IMA. IMA. And I like that, like, we get IMA first, and IMA is the one that just, like, immediately leaps into action. Because yeah. IMA has, like, already basically done everything in his power to build a life for himself, where it's finally, like, one last thing, and he can, like, finally do, like, the handful of things he's been holding back from, which is, like, he immediately just, like, jumps up and is like, Nene. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really like the, he says, I was born to love you, I yeah. can finally say that. Which I like, because that's, Shigure says that the Akito, right? Yeah. Um, and, and also that's a line that Akito repeats all the time, like, like, I was born to be loved. 
Um, I think it like really reflects on like, cause like, yeah, like Aime has exercised his free will to the, to the absolute limit that he can. Mm -hmm. Um, and now he has this just extra push that like he is fully free and he can say that like, cause he couldn't have said I was born to love you when he was born to love Akito. Yeah. But now he's not. So I really liked that. I thought he was such a good choice. Yeah. To be that, that one. He was good. Um, we get... Kagura's feetsies in a pan. Kagura in a fucking still shot. Yeah. So funny. Sorry, Kagura. They didn't have the money for you. Ritsu. 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 Ritsu, I'm so sorry, Queen. Ritsu, baby girl. Not that girls can't wear pants, but... (laughs) At least she's wearing a bow. That's true. At least she's got her cute little ribbon. Does she cut her hair in the manga? I don't remember. I think she has her hair tied back in the manga. Um... I wish Ritsu was wearing her fur, I said. Yeah. We simply do not... Ritsu is a woman to us. Yeah. Ritsu is a woman, end of story. And we should, <laughs> we should simply let her continue to be. Yeah. Because um, that is her true self. It really is. Why? Ritsu, you do not have to detransition. <laughs> Queen, I love you. Don't do this. Don't do this. And I mean, I don't think you want to do this. It's Takaya. It's Takaya. Takaya did this. It's Takaya and her obsession with culminating um, really interesting gender commentary with gender conformity. Takaya. We hate to see it. We really hate to see it. It's like, again, it's like, it's one thing with Momiji. Yeah. Where, like, he just looks a little more mature. Like, I don't love it, but, like, I think it, like, still kind of makes sense. And yeah. also, like, Momiji does still own all that clothing. Yeah. He, like, owns all, and he, like, retains qualities of it. Like, yeah. it's definitely, like... Like, I don't love it, and I would love to see his adult self, or, like, you know, he's barely an adult. He's, like, a teen. He's still a teen, but I would love to see, like, his more, like, kind of, like, post-puberty growth for itself right. be more kind of himself, just, like, a matured version instead yeah. of, like... It can be flamboyant, but not childish. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, well. It's, oh, well. It's a much less severe crime than doing this to Ritsu. Yeah. <sighs> I'm sorry. Yeah, Ritsu's first sewed was at the dry cleaners that day. Yeah. <laughs> this is simply what we must choose to believe. Um, Kisa. I didn't have anything Kisa. to say about Kisa, really. She's like... She's cute. Uh, she's cute. I didn't have really have anything to say about Haru and Ren either. Um, I liked Haru's line where it's like, like Rin, like, te- tears well to her eyes and yeah. she immediately, like, turns to Haru and Haru's just, like, kind of sitting there with his eyes closed and he hasn't re- reacted to anything and then he's like... It's lonelier than you think, wouldn't it? Isn't it? And I liked that. Yeah. Um, I did like the Hotri one because I really liked that. We don't see Hotri's face at all. I really liked yeah. that. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this is me projecting or not, but like, it just felt like, it felt really, really heavy with Hotri. Yeah. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that Hotri has a lot of regrets in his life that he's finally able to acknowledge. Yeah. Just like he doesn't, like with the kids and the teens, it's like, this is like, like, it's obvious, like, obviously this curse-breaking has this, like, kind of, like, overwhelming sense of loneliness comes crashing over you and this sense of loss, both from, like, this reincarnate, this, like, spirit inside of you that's, like, grieving, but then also just, like, your own self being, like, this sort of connection you felt to all the people you grew up with, like, suddenly severing. Um, and so, but it's also, like, met with, like, them who have, like, been fighting against this and who are really excited to, like, go out and, like, be able to live their adult lives without this hanging over them but yeah. like and like IMA was someone who was like he went on to live his adult life and like chose to build a life in spite of the curse but Hattori didn't do that 
So all of a sudden Hattori is like, I am well into my adulthood and I don't, I haven't built a life for myself that I enjoy. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's sad because, because Hattori was so dedicated to Akito yeah. and the status quo and he never really had any hope to begin with. And even when Shigure, like, tells him that Rin is trying to break the curse, he is, like, so shocked. Like, it's never even occurred to him. And I don't really think it occurred to him that it would really happen. Yeah. And now he's been proven wrong, and he's made so many mistakes. And, like, I also think there's an aspect where, like, like he said that, like, not he said, but, like, we know that he doesn't blame Akito for things that were Akito's fault. And I wonder if all of that just comes crashing down, because I'm sure it was partially the curse mm -hmm. that was keeping him from that, and then partially just, like, his insane denial. Yeah. Um, but, like, it, it that, like, shot felt really, really heavy. And also just, like, all the concessions and, like, cruelty and injustice Hattori has allowed to try and appease Akito and, like, do, like, harm reduction and, like, just, like, try to make the best of a horrible situation. Now he's, like... Oh, that wasn't, that didn't, that, there was no point to that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I allowed for all of this when I shouldn't have. Yeah. <sighs> Shigure? Shigure. Scar? Scar? Hello? Hello? Don't remember how we got that. Truly, I don't. <laughs> I'm trying to even remember the last time we saw him. It was when Akito was, I think, was it? No. I mean, it had to have been Akito. Yeah. I assume I Akito hit him at some point, but... When? I mean, the last time I remember seeing him, like, I'm, I think we saw him in between this, but it was when, like, Akito comes running out of the woods, and, like, there's that thing where it's, like, oh, he's, right. he's, like, calling Hattori and stuff. I think that is the last time we see him. Yeah. Maybe? Okay, so, like, this episode was structured in a way that, like, gave us, like, like, in, like, like, Toru's hospital thing was going on during the, like, events of last episode. So I wonder if we're gonna get an explanation next episode. I don't- I don't fucking remember why he gets this scar. I mean, they want us to know about it because they showed it to us pretty clearly. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. Neither do I. Um, his line was heavy though. Yeah. The, oh, this is what it feels like. Ah! <sighs> it's so, yeah. First of all, Nakamura, I love you so much. I would die for you, sir. Um, it was delivered so well. Yeah, king but, shit. Yeah. Just, There's just, I don't know, it's just a lot. It's just a lot. It's <laughs> like what he's been fighting for his whole life, and now he's just like, it's like he gets what he got, and... I think it's really anticlimactic. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I did everything, like, this is like what I, I stepped on so many feet and did so much shit to get here, and like, I guess this is what it was. And it just happens while I'm walking down the street. Yeah. And it's lonely. Yeah. God. Ah. And then we get Akito, kind of. We get this sort of final call to grieve. Mm. Sort of, unless you had anything to say. No, yeah, we get, like, Akito, like, calling, like, all the Zodiac members, and I think also kind of the audience to, like, mourn this. Which I think is, like, is for, uh, like, Fruits Basket so much is about, like, grief. And about, like, how it's coped with and about like how it can like distort you and cause harm especially when it's not like when you don't allow yourself to feel it properly um 
And so it's this final culmination of Akito, like, really calling everyone to, like, let themselves experience this because grief is something that needs to be experienced. Um, and also, it's, so it's, like, this big, I don't know, it felt, and also it's kind of, like, it's also, like, the end of the story and calling everyone to kind of mourn the end of the story with all of the characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that the Kyo ripping the beads off yeah. was really, really good and powerful. And I, and I like, I love the silence and just the clinking yeah. of the beads on the ground and then the final goodbye. It was great. So good. It really hit. Yeah. And I really like, I mean, they like pretty much copy and pasted the mega panel. It's great. But it looked fucking great. It's so good. Yeah. That's <sighs> uh, the post credit scene. Yeah. Let me get this post credit scene. Kamisama. Hello. Kyo and Kazuma. Kyo and Ka- oh, Kyo and Kazuma were so cute. So cute. Kazuma won. Kazuma got his- Kazuma did win. Kazuma really- Kazuma won the reboot. Kazuma won the reboot. He got his son. His son, his son is so little compared to him. <laughs> he's so big. He's so big. He's like, he's taller than the thresholds in his house. Yeah. Why is he just a giant? He's oh. so big. What did they feed you, Kazuma? <laughs> um, but Kazuma is just like shocked, but like- so he's so happy. His son, his son is gonna be okay. I mean, he's already like he knew Kyo wasn't gonna lo- get locked up, which is like the big win. Yeah. And he's also like, and no more curse for him. No Yay. more curse for my boy. <laughs> Non-cursed boy. Freshly uncursed boy. <laughs> Freshly uncursed boy, straight out of the oven. <laughs> I really, I liked, um, I liked Kamisama's speech about, um. Like, the way I interpreted it was that, like, even though the bond turned into a curse, that it still created families who loved each other. Mm-hmm. Like, there was still love behind it, even though yeah, it, it, there was also so much trauma. <laughs> <laughs> like, was it worth it? No. But they what? do have, like, like real lifelong bonds that are really genuine, like, just deep love yeah. with each other. I It called back to kind of, like... There's, like, a speech Akito gets where Akito is, like, when did this all become so twisted? Mm. It kind of reminded me of that where we see kind of, like, what it was like when Akito was younger and then how as Akito got more and more unhinged and it got worse and worse. And here we have Kami-sama being, like, it started as something born of love and really ended up hurting a lot of people. But, yeah, it was still, it was still born of people who cared about each other but just ended up getting real fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and kind of this, like, and again, this, like, kind of theme of, like, really finally letting yourself grieve, and this is, like, like, it took literal ages, but now it's, like, finally, like, Kami-sama is able to grieve and let go. Mm. You know, it just took generations and generations. (sighs) I guess it's, um... It's a godly time frame. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Um, And then I get the Toburaki to hug. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. Kyo being like, what the fuck is happening? Kyo is like, uh, two are friends now? <laughs> He's like, this is weird. Okay. Why not? Hattori's like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why Hattori's even there. Yeah. Uh, wow. wow. <laughs> what an episode. What an episode indeed. It was good. Crazy. And we have two more? Two, two more. more. Fucking crazy. 
Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you want to check us out, we're on Twitter and Tumblr at SumoSoGood. Thanks. See you next time.